Okay, welcome everybody. Uh, we're back on with the Four Star Podcast. I'm here with our, our good uh, trusty friend, Christopher Reardon. Chris, are you there? I'm there. Hello, everyone. Uh, how's everyone doing? And uh, it's uh, been an interesting uh, couple days, couple weeks, really, in the market. Yeah, it has. And uh, Chris is, by the way, from a remote location. Uh, Four Star is operating primarily remotely. Uh, I'm Brian Castle. I'm your uh, your original host, founder, and CEO of Four Star. But I'm still in the office because financial services is considered by the state of Illinois governor to be an essential business. So we didn't actually need to go remote, but we just did it for everyone's protection. So Chris is in a remote location, not to be disclosed, uh, but uh, uh, somewhere in the West Loop, right, Chris? Yeah, four-star West Loop, uh, undisclosed exact location. <laughs> Great, and we're doing this for the first time uh, in a remote uh, in a remote format through Zoom conference. So, so anyway, so Chris is our four-star director of development. I call him the master of all things portfolio trading and reports. He loves his Cleveland Indians. He was raised near that factory of sadness. Uh, Chris, welcome to the podcast. Glad to be here, and uh, well, glad to get going. And I'm again. I'm Brian Castle, founder and CEO of Four Star Wealth. I'm an Eagle Scout, and I'm a trustee of the National Boy Scout Foundation, chartered advisor of philanthropy, advisor to CEOs and insiders. I'm the chief investment officer of the firm, and a 35-year veteran of the industry. I'm dad to Quinn and Evan, two amazing young men, and husband to the amazing Tripti. Fan of the not so resurgent Chicago Bears. Uh, anyway, so let's get started, uh, Chris, with our podcast. So. Uh, we've had quite an interesting week. We thought we had seen it all, and then we said, well, this week, you know, we'll settle down, and it didn't, and then we had that experience again and again and again. So uh, welcome to another wild week here on Wall Street, Chris. Yeah, it's uh, a little crazy. It's crazy to the downside, and today it was crazy to the upside. I mean, it's uh, you just never know what, what flavor you're going to get, I guess, in this market. Yeah, it is. So today was one of the biggest updates in market history. Now, I don't think the biggest though, but it's still a, a big monster reversal. So Chris, where where are those indicators? We talk about the, the six asset classes. Where do we stand with those today? Uh, so yeah, so from our six asset class rankings, um, right now cash has moved over the last week into the number one ranking. Uh, it has 266 tally scores. So a lot of movement from cash not unusual. That's what we would expect with this volatile market we're in. Um, number two is fixed income. Uh, that's at 263 tally scores. So only three points shy of the number one spot um, is fixed income. Number three is currencies. That's sitting at 191. So a little bit further down from those top two asset classes. Um, then we have domestic equities at 174 tally points and fourth. We have uh, commodities in fifth at 124 tally scores, and in sixth, international at 67 tally scores, which uh, I'll tell you what, that was, um, I mean, if we go back, rewind back to January of this year, it was one, two, domestic, international, and international, I think it's just incredible how fast that thing uh, moved downwards relative to the other asset classes. Yeah, that, um, was, but, a, you know, that was a yeah, brutal but, decline. Yeah, I mean, and we're, we're looking at, um, you know, Brian and I had discussed a little bit. We're looking at really a risk off. This would be a good, exa really good example of a risk off environment, wouldn't you say, Brian? 
Yeah, totally. Well, and, and uh, the, the top three asset classes now are what we call our low beta or low risk asset classes. So that's cash, fixed income, and currencies. And the last time that happened, uh, you know, in, in history in tracking these indicators was September of 2008. The market high in that cycle, of course, was November 9th of 2007. So the last time we went to three low beta asset classes is ranked one, two, and three. It took a whole year. It took 11 months, essentially, to get down here. This time, by contrast, it took only a month. And also, at the last time, it took to get down to three three asset classes of low beta in the top ranking. Uh, the market was only down 21% by that time. And it, this time, we went down 35% before the big rally today. So there are some differences. Uh, last time, the market went from September 2008, after a little bit of a rally into 2008 December, then it went down to collapse in March of 2009. So even though we got to low beta asset classes in top ranking, it didn't stop the decline. So that, of course, could happen here again. We don't know. It certainly didn't happen today. Uh, but then it began a reversal. It took until March 27th of 2009, almost a month later, to get one of those low beta asset classes to come out of a top ranking and resume the normal movement of growth assets moving up. So I guess the reason I bring all this up is it's possible that we could have another big decline from here. If other news comes out, if the virus gets worse, we don't really know. Let's say we go to the Dow 15,000, we're back over 20,000 right now. Um, if you're just holding on and you let it go down and go back up and you're not using those assets in the short run, so, you know, is that important? Obviously, it's frustrating. It would go a little bit down. But if you just hold on and it goes down and comes back up in a short period of time, it isn't that important. I remember that move in early 2009, and it was really brutal. But we just watched it and watched it go back up. So, um, again, if you don't need the funds right away, you can, you know, take this in a little more measured way. Right, Chris? Yeah, I mean, I think um – I think the volatility is still here. I mean, you know, volatility is, is important to remember is measured not only on the downside, but on the upside. Um, we certainly have uh, still have a lot of volatility in the markets right now. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I think with how, how far we've dropped, how quick we've dropped um, to your point, Brian, um, you know, it, it, stocks are definitely cheap, um, but there could definitely be, I think there still is going to be volatility. Uh, from my perspective, volatility over the next couple of weeks. I mean, as news trickles out, this has definitely been, um, as Brian and I have spoken about in the past, an event-driven market. Um, and I think there's still some events to come out. I mean, we, we still have news on, on the stimulus package. There's still wrinkles that could be thrown into this that could throw the market down another large amount. Um, and likely, you know, if you're an odds player, likely chances that there's going to be at least one or two days that are going to be heavy down. So, um, you know, we, we don't know, though, and we'll just have to wait and see. But if you're looking at it from a long term perspective, um, you know, it's probably a safe bet. Um, but, you know, in the short term, you have the heavy chance of maybe it moving the market moving down further. So um, on the different this time list, Chris, uh, one thing to note, note out is last time currencies were ahead of cash and when cash was weak. Um, and, and, and what that meant is back in 2008, the U.S. currency in the U.S. economy was actually pretty weak. Our banking system was over levered. In fact, most of the brokerage firms in America were, were essentially bankrupt. 
where Bear Stearns went bankrupt, uh, had to be acquired by J.P. Morgan. Merrill Lynch actually got acquired by Bank of America, but it was because essentially they were bankrupt, and, and the federal government brought in a, uh, a suitor to help them out. Lehman Brothers did go bankrupt. Uh, you know, Goldman Sachs, Morgan Stanley both took financial partners. So our, our system was very weak. Uh, the banking system need to be rebuilt, and that's been done in the last 10 years. But currencies, meaning foreign currencies, were stronger than cash. And all cash is is our currency, the American dollar. So this time, cash is much better than foreign currency. So the, the foreign markets are much worse, and the economy and their financial structure is much worse. The American economy came in as the strongest economy out there, and the banking system was very, very solid and very strong. So um, cash is much stronger than foreign currencies now. So that's one big difference, and that's a, something we can also always uh, you know, feel good about in this environment. Uh, we have a lot of investors who operate in pounds, in euros, and rupees. We even have a client in, in, uh, in Gabon, Africa. I'm not even sure what currency that they run with. So we do have investors that work with us that have a different mindset than just cash versus currencies. But at least for the American investors, uh, the cash is stronger. Um, you know, Chris, uh, another set of measurements that that I wanted to mention tonight, uh, the New York Stock Exchange bullish percent ranks stocks that are trending bullish, meaning upward or bearish, which means negative. And right now we're down to 6% of stocks are bullish, meaning 94% of stocks are trending bearish. So our friends at Dorsey Wright NASDAQ, which is where a lot of this research comes from, pointed out that the last time we got to those lows uh, was December of 2008. But if you remember, I mentioned we had another three or four months of down market, 25%. So if you look at under, you open up the hood and realize that many stocks got really cheap in 2008, but the large names, the large tech names, for example, were, were crashing. So the average stock was actually not going down as much after 2008 because that bullish percent index started to turn up but the markets went down 25% more by March of 2009. So the average guy was panicking, but the reading might, more, might be more constructive. So we're gonna watch and see what happens to all these indicators as we're going through it. Uh, the thing that still shows very high is volatility, and today's 10% up move, while it's positive for the market, is not gonna change the volatility index. We suspect that the volatility coming down will help lead to the bullish percents acting better, but we're going to watch that as closely as we can. Um, you know, Chris, just some statistics here. Uh, the last time uh, was 2008, but there's been three other times when the New York bullish percent was in single digits. Uh, everybody who's old enough can remember September of 1974. That's when the oil crisis was on the rage. Uh, President Rick Nixon had just resigned the month prior. And then President Ford pardoned Nixon. It was a very ugly time. And the bullish percent got down to 8%. And uh, Black Monday, October of 1987, was also uh, got down to 8%. So this is lower than most of them. Uh, October of 2008, it got down to 4%. Uh, so this doesn't happen very often. So there's some great opportunity, and the markets are nearing a bottom. We can't say they're at a bottom, but they're near a bottom. So those are interesting statistics, Chris. Yeah, I mean, I think it's, and that's a good uh, point. I mean, I think, you know, investors like to get kind of caught up in um, what's 
put in front of them and everyone gets everyone sees the uh, Dow Jones Industrial Average, S&P 500 and the Nasdaq and I think it's important to to note that there are variables within those indexes that could cause a, a skewed image of how the market's doing. I think a really great example is actually um, you could, if you see the Dow Jones compared to like the Nasdaq, if you've really been looking at both of those indexes over the last week or two, the Dow has been performing significantly worse than NASDAQ, um, and mostly because the Dow, like Brian said, is weighted. So you have names in there like Boeing um, and, and other large companies that have just been really dragging that, that index down. So just because an index is down doesn't doesn't really necessarily give you the overall temperature of of all the underlying stocks. I think that's an important thing, and that's why we have so many indicators and different ways that we look at the market. Um, because if that index is going down, that could just be a small portion of the market that's going down. That's really giving this perceived um, notion that the market's hurting when really maybe half the stocks or who knows are, are really actually starting to base and maybe move upwards. Yeah. Well, and then also just uh, looking past the veneer and analyzing this, large stocks have been better than small stocks. The small cap stocks have been completely destroyed here. Uh, the S&P 500 as a broader index is down to two, 2016 lows, uh, or 2016 levels, I should say. But the S&P 100 of larger names is still at December 2018 support levels, which is only a year and a half ago. So, uh, So it's interesting, though. Um, The question, though, is how do we handle all these things? What do we do about it? And, you know, one of the things that investors often do is that they they talk of doing buys down here. They talk of, you know, making moves because they feel like they need to do something. Right, Chris? You've seen that. Yeah, I mean, you know, there, there is that. I, everyone has that um, notion of, oh, stocks are so cheap right now, and 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 like we spoke about a little bit earlier, stocks are cheap now, but it doesn't necessarily mean that you you know need to you know don't feel like you have to go in and buy and this and that. And, and I think everyone has that, that FOMO, right? Fear of missing out that, you know, their right. neighbors in there probably talking to their neighbors sitting there and like, Oh, I just going in, I'm buying this. It's so cheap. I'm buying this. And, you know, you kind of feel like, Oh, well now I have to go buy because everyone else is going and buying. So there, you know, I think you definitely get that notion, especially when you have such a sharp drop and stocks are relatively <laughs> cheap right now. They really are. Well, you know, we, we've talked a lot about whether we would do buys down here and try to buy names before we see trends develop. And uh, what, what we would say here is uh, we're in very good field position, meaning, um, you know, we're, we're close to the goal line of being, being able to buy cheap stocks. Uh, very good field position, but the, one of the overriding factors is the volatility is still very, very high. So when the volatility is so wild, you could buy something and then it's down big yesterday just because of the volatility. So it's like catching a falling knife. You can get bloody, right? So when, mm-hmm. when things get crazy, though, we feel like we have to take action. Like, I've got to do something. I'll show them. I'll buy something, you know, kind of, kind of attitude. Uh, but then uh, you feel like you're being pummeled, like you're in pain, and you want to end the pain, so we'll buy a stock, and you think that'll end your pain. It might even cause more pain. Um, we did some buying last week, though, didn't we, Chris? Yeah, we bought. Um, I mean, what we're looking for here is a for certain for certain portfolios that we manage. Uh, we want to try to stay. We want to be defensive, but we still want to try to stay a little bit on offense. So we're looking for names that might be holding up better in the current environment we're in. Uh, we bought um, Kellogg's. Uh, we bought Campbell's Soup. What was a couple other ones, Brian? E, uh, we bought Eli Lilly. Eli and- Lilly's another one. Yeah. 
And these are names that were acting much better. And so if the markets recover and different trends develop, maybe they would not be the names that will continue to act better. But we're about owning what's working at that time. So we only stepped in for a couple small names to keep our equity positions at a certain minimum so the portfolio, once a recovery happens, isn't way, way behind. Um, but, you know, it could very easily work out that other higher-risk sectors with stronger up moves could take out the consumer names like, you know, uh, Campbell Soup and Kellogg and outperform better, and we would get into those. But we don't want to overthink it. We want to let this market develop, and, you know, maybe it recovers, and maybe it doesn't for a while. We don't, we don't really know, and we want to be very cautious. Yeah, we want to wait to confirm uh, confirm the trend. I mean, I think it's the key there. We will we will make strategic moves, um, kind of in the background with where we're at. But I think overall, our current posturing, like you said, Brian, is we're in pretty good we're in good field position. And I think right now our field position is still defensive. And uh, although we may move around within that defensive positioning, um, until we see more of a confirmed uptrend, we're gonna remain defensive for the most part. Yes. And let me, uh, I just saw another couple of statistics I wanted to mention about volatility. So we've seen now uh, the 11th day in a row of the market being up at least 1% or more, up or down 1% or more. And the eighth day in this period where the market has been up or down more than 4%. So that's high volatility. That's not a normal environment. We normally see 90% of the time the market is up less than 1% or down less than 1%. So those are unusual times. So we want to let that market settle down a little bit before we make any seriously large moves. Yeah, we want to wait until things exactly settle down a little bit and we get kind of a, I mean, I think the, you know, what we're looking for is more of the stable market, the stable uptrend uh, is what we're looking for. And, you know, I think, uh, I think you alluded to this earlier, Brian, you know, trying to take a shot right now, um, you could just be putting your hand under a falling knife and we really don't know. And, you know, we'd like to see some of that uncertainty clear up a little bit and some of our indicators become start turning positive before we start, um, you know, dipping our toes in the water per se. Absolutely. Well, good. Well, uh, a couple other thoughts I just wanted to share. Uh, there's an overbought, oversold index. And as of this morning, before we had this big rally, we were extremely oversold. So if the normal market index trade in a trading band of kind of up or down 10%, we're 170% oversold. So we could see a shape, a V-shaped bounce back, and that's basically part of what we saw today. Uh, they were the highest oversold readings ever and actually worse in 2008. So it was oversold because it happened so quickly and it was the strongest, quickest decline of 35% ever in American history. Some of the old timers right, remember, might remember Black Monday of October 19, 1987. And that day the market was down 21%, but it didn't happen in, in uh, the 35% in one day. Uh, so this was 35 uh, 36% by some measurements within uh, basically three and a half weeks. So Yeah, and I, I think even that, so that's one of the concepts um, that we kind of talk about is what's in some circles called reversion to the mean. Uh, so essentially you have the market that's moving in a certain direction um, and eventually the markets are going to either shoot to the upside or downside of that market. When that happens um, in the long run, so we don't know in the short run, but in the long run, usually they end up reverting back. So kind of correcting back upwards um, 
to somewhere along that line. So um, that's another reason that, like we talked about earlier, that you get a lot of people that want to buy down here. It's cheap and they think, oh, it's going to spike mm-hmm. right back up. Uh, that's something we don't know. I know, Brian, you had spoken before. It may take it may be two weeks. It may be three months. Uh, so we don't know when that will occur. But, you know, the market's running cycles. And right now it seems like we're moving at least for the short term in a down cycle. So eventually it's going to move back into an up cycle. And, um, you know, things will kind of look start on that upside. So um, we're just waiting to see those trends solidify a little bit more one way or the other uh, to kind of make our positioning. Well, and we'll look for different action points on the upside and then different breakdowns. So one thing that will happen here is that now that the market is where it is, whatever the leadership was in the, the, the best performing sectors in the last cycle, some of that will change. Like there's gonna be a lot of damage in the leisure industry, the, you know, the airlines, the hotels, restaurants, that was consumer discretionary, a very strong area for a long time. And it's gonna be some damage there because some people are out of work now and other things. So there'll be a repair job to do and some companies will do well others will not Um, so we're going to look for key breakouts on the upside in different groups and then those key levels and those key breaks show us what behavior changes are are happening Um, and the trends that we're looking for then give us what we believe to be very high probability um, you know patterns of behavior that tend to be repeatable it's not foolproof but it's more reliable and so then we'll know how to position the portfolios and do better in the next cycle. So in the meantime, we're just trying to preserve capital and not lose a lot of money and make sure that we can fight to fight for the next battle. So one of the things, though, everybody, that a market like this really brings up is the fact that investors need to have a plan before we enter a market like this. Because if you don't have a plan like this, you're going to just react to whatever emotion is out there. And one of the ways to do that is through a financial plan. I know, Chris, you have done a ton of our financial plans and lead our team doing that. Why don't we talk a little bit about that? So important to have a financial plan because that's your roadmap. You know, when you get lost or when you, you know, feel down or the market's down heavy, you can pull out this roadmap, this financial plan and look at it and say, all right, am I still on track? And, you know, in some cases, maybe you aren't on track. Maybe maybe the markets, maybe you were a little overinvested in certain stocks or something, but it's important to then look at that, address it, and make the adjustment now. Because if you make the adjustment now, um, a little adjustment can go a long way. Making an adjustment 10 years from now, when you're much closer to retirement, um, you're gonna need a lot of adjustment to get you to where you need to be. So um, I think people kind of look at it, and it's been so easy over the last five to 10 years to discount it. I would even just say the last five years as that memory of kind of pain has kind of faded a little bit. And it's been easy to discount and say, I don't need a financial plan. The markets are only going up. You know, it's the same kind of idea as, oh, I don't, I can just index because the markets really only go up. And, and I think, you know, when you're environments like this, it really shows its true value uh, to be able to say, all right, well, let me look at my financial plan. Look at it. I am on track. I am still strong. I, you know, we've we've planned for this. And, and the other important thing to remember is within those financial plans, usually depending on your horizon, there's either one, maybe even two, if you have a longer horizon of these market crashes baked in there. Uh, so it's not going to, you know, mega returns throughout the entire plan. It's going to test the plan. It's going to, you know, put it through certain um, stricter area financial, you know, tighter financial um, lengths and stuff. So th- there's going to be certain constraints put on the plan to make sure that it is uh, proof 
through certain rougher markets like we're experiencing now. So um, yeah. I, I think, like you said, Brian, you know, having a financial plan really pays dividends, um, especially in an environment like this. Absolutely, especially as, as wild as it is. Uh, and, you know, we do this every 10 years, it seems, right? We have a wild market like this, and it's important to uh, have a plan because if you don't plan for something, you kind of fall for anything, right? So um, anyway, uh, all the things that we've seen, however frustrating they are, and they are, believe me, this has not been fun for anybody. There's companies are laying people off or giving people furloughs or, or cutting salaries and all the things that are going on. And without any real end in sight, you know, there's a sense things will end and they'll be better. But, but everything that we've seen so far still are, are within the bounds of financial plans that people have created. No one wants market crashes, but they happen and they're baked into the plans. The only ones that are at, at more risk than others might be the folks that retired in the last couple of years so that we might need to make some adjustments to some plans. And that's why we do a, a bad timing scenario in the plans. And usually most of the plans don't go through until they pass a decent bad timing scenario test and all of ours do. So, um, you know, but again, no matter how uncomfortable everything has been, it's still frankly within the bounds of a financial plan. If you stick with that plan, you should just be fine. So anyway, well, we've covered a lot here today, and we appreciate everybody's patience with a, a longer podcast today. Um, there's a lot of great things happening, even in this decline. The ingenuity of the American public is uh, quite quite uh, resilient, and the president is talking about maybe trying to open up certain industries sooner uh, after his 15-day uh, plan where he wants everyone to basically you know, be social distanced for 15 uh, days. Uh, many uh, states now have actually gone to, you know, quarantines essentially for everyone and certain restrictions. Certainly that's happened in Illinois and some of the Midwestern states, New York, California. So hopefully things will get better sooner than everyone expects. And the president is very, very eager to get people back to work and to rebuild what was the best economy in American history. So we're confident and hopeful that that'll happen soon. And uh, we're here to help everybody. If you need any help, feel free to give us a call. We hope the information that we presented uh, today uh, was useful, uh, gives some comfort in this kind of wild, wild time. We do have a plan. We may not like everything that happens. We can't control what, what the markets do. All we can control is our response to it, and that's all we're trying to do. Chris, anything more? No, I think that covered it pretty well. I mean, I think we're just going to take it. We'll take it one day at a time, one week at a time. And uh, you know, I think if you have any questions or anything comes up, you know, Brian and I are always available. Um, you know, if you want to address your plan, give us a call or Tucker Dunn, who helps run some of our financial plans, and we can certainly review that. So, um, you know, it's it's a trying time, I guess, for for people's uh, emotional <laughs> emotionally trying times. Uh, so, you know, feel free to reach out if if anything comes up. Um, you know, and you have any questions or anything. Great. Thanks, Chris. So for Chris Reardon and for the entire four-star team, which is now remote in various places around the country on a computer and working hard for your benefit, uh, this is uh, your CEO and founder of four-star wealth advisors, Brian Castle, signing off. Uh, we'll be back next week with another edition and an update, and we'll see what the next bring, week brings. Can't be any crazier than the last two, but maybe it is. Who knows? But uh, everyone try to have a great week, and we'll talk to you very soon. Thanks.